0: Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do our best to try to talk about God in spirit and in truth. We try to address all things openly, going to be wrong on some things, going to be right on some things. We just keep talking about it. But before we get to it, we got a very important guest standing in front of me, the Sved Brothers. Yes, the Sved Brothers. And please, your first name is? Elijah. Elijah, very great name, and your brother's name is? Ethan. Ethan, very demonstrative. And tell the audience, if you would, what you like to do uh, for fun. Read. (laughs) I love that. What a beautiful thing. And how about the brother? Play video games, read, um, play outside. Three options with the younger brother. Very good. And then how long have you been in Utah? couple, almost a week. Almost a week. Do you enjoy it? Yes. They like Utah. They've been here almost a week. We are so glad you guys are here. Thanks for being on Heart of the Matter. You can watch yourself now. Nick will show you how to do it later on. It's like uh, Ralphie in the Christmas story. He just keeps standing in front of the teacher. You can be excused now. (laughs) Oh, kids are the best listen brother matt slick co-founder or founder of carm man who believes that he can explain calvinism is going to be here in the heart of the matter studios may 5th for a two-hour special Uh, matt has been announcing it on his radio program out of idaho so we plan to have people here Uh, listen the purpose is to learn from matt about calvinism he contacted us and says sean you don't understand it So we're going to have Matt come on, and the format's going to be non-confrontational. Mark Bazant's going to mediate, but really all it's going to be, his job isn't going to be that difficult, because Matt is going to take three to five minutes to explain all the concepts of Calvinism as dictated by the tulip. We'll start with total depravity. He'll explain what that is, and then I get to just ask questions. So tell me about this. Tell me about that. I'm not going to go chapter and verse as a confrontation, I'm I'm just going to ask him questions and he'll answer. Uh, Matt knows his Bible really well and I'm sure we'll hear a lot of that. And we hope that we can understand the the Calvinist perspective from someone who is pretty much uh, at least he's self-proclaimed expert. So I reject Calvinism as a valid representation of Biblical Christianity completely, but I am not going to uh, debate with Matt. Um, If you want to uh, participate, you can come to the studios if you're in town. If not, uh, tune in on May 5th. Now listen, questions also coming from you are going to be important, so you can call in with your questions for Matt. Listen, I wanted to always understand this about Calvinism. Also, uh, since we'll have a mediator, uh, maybe we can do some live questions from the audience about Calvinism as well. A couple more things, blood moons, Uh, I had a guy, I don't know if I talked about this the other day, but I was in an Einstein's bagels the other day and this guy came up all excited, are you ready for the blood moons? And I said, dude, I don't buy any of that. What? So he got all hot, but I just, you know, I I think it's nothing but hype for the hyper to uh, get hype about. Uh, it's just another, I mean, I think it's embarrassing for the body to tell you the truth. Even if Jesus returns in association with the blood moons, I think that the logic and reasoning and thinking is really shabby behind it. And it shows how we can make uh, something out of anything. We really can. All you got to do is just look at, you know, first of all, the Jews use a lunar, lunar calendar. So, of course the things that go on with the moon are going to coincide with things that go on with their festivals. And it's it's a lunar calendar. So besides that, there's not exact dating with it, and it seems like there's people out there who just want to sell books, and uh, I just don't get excited about it. If I'm wrong, may Jesus take me with him in the rapture. If I'm right, it doesn't matter either. Let's just carry on. Secondly, if you have any way possible to watch the HBO special on Scientology, um, especially if you're LDS or former LDS, do it. By all means, do it. Now, HBO has an online thing called HBO Go that you can go on and temporarily use it. That's how I was able to see it. I don't have HBO, but I was able to do it. Maybe you have a friend who has it. But uh, every Latter day Saint on earth ought to watch this film. Because how L. Ron Hubbard, founder of the of the movement, is so much in so many ways like Joseph Smith was. And uh, Miscavige, who's taken over for L. Ron Hubbard since he died, is very much in his ways like Brigham Young was. It's astounding. So actually every religious person should watch this documentary as a means to remind ourselves over and over and over again to run from men when uh look directly to god for the person who controls your life not to men and with that how about a moment from the word
1: and i heard as it were the noise of thunder one of the four beasts saying come and see and i saw and behold a white horse
0: you're familiar with the verse in ephesians 2:19 that says Paul says, the redeemed are of God's God's household and are built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. We've remarked in the past that foundations are poured, foundations are laid out once in construction, uh, unless it's a faulty foundation and it has to be tore up. But once a building is, is underway and the foundation is laid you don't go back ever and relay that foundation. That's why Paul, he says the household of God is built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. He is speaking of a foundation laid and that's not added to or laid again. You got that? Paul admits that the building upon the foundation is forever growing. But the foundation, having been uh, laid, is laid permanently. When I say it's ever-growing, Paul says that it continues to build up. Who's it built up by? Us. We are the brick and mortar. We are the boards that are built upon that foundation of prophets and apostles, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. If you turn to the Greek, we know that once the foundation was laid, it was permanently laid, once and forever. How do we know that? The Greek is epoikodomentethes, and the proper syntax is having been, past tense, built. Having been, past tense, laid. So here's the deal a foundation of prophets from the Old Testament and apostles, the New Testament with Jesus being the chief cornerstone, then we know that the apostles of Jesus had to be firsthand witnesses of his resurrection. This is another thing about that foundation. The apostles he called had to be witnesses of his resurrection. 1 Corinthians uh, 9.1, Paul says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? So when the apostles sought to replace Judas uh, with someone to continue on as a personal witness, this is how they described what they were looking for in the person to replace Judas. Someone who had accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So when they said, listen, Judas is gone, Peter said this, we need to get someone else. We need someone who's been with us since Jesus started, who has been with us as he's come in and out, who saw him die who from the baptism of John, and who who saw him taken up with us, and someone who was witness to his resurrection. All of those things were necessary for someone to be a real apostle. So these apostles had to be firsthand witnesses. Secondly, each apostle had to receive the call from the Lord. Luke 6.13 says, and when it was day, Jesus called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose 12. So he called everybody around, and then he chose 12 whom also he named apostles. Okay? Apostles meaning someone he's going to send. All right, you got that? Galatians 1, one Paul says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Okay? So Paul says, listen, I'm an apostle, but it's not from men doing some kind of uh, a lot casting or some other thing. I am an apostle by the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, we know apostles must be infallibly inspired. 1 Thessalonians 2:13 says Paul writes for this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard of us you received it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believes So you see, it was essential that these apostles had to be inspired, as such they secured against error when they spoke publicly and when they wrote. This is what they are saying, okay? So this is why Jesus gave them in-person training. These twelve guys, including Paul later, when he established his church, there was no passing down this office. To another guy, Once uh, one of them died. They didn't do that uh, type of thing from man to man, to continue these special duties. Just them then, just them then. The final biblically established qualification for an apostle is the power of working mighty miracles by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the word says about the apostles after Jesus ascended into heaven. Verse Mark sixteen nineteen says. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere. Preached, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs, following. Acts five twelve says, and by the hand uh, hands of the apostles were many signs, and wonders wrought among the people in Luke said of Paul in Acts 19 11, and God brought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought into the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and evil spirits went out from them because of the presence of those handkerchiefs speaking of Peter it says in Acts 5:15, 15 in so much as they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and couches that at the least, the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. That is how powerful these 12 guys' presence was then and there at that time. Okay? As a result of all these factors, everything, and within the context of Scripture, the true apostles of the early church could not anymore have successors that followed them then Jesus Christ would have a successor that followed him. There would be absolutely no biblical reason to suggest that any other apostles would be chosen or picked or come along simply because it doesn't fit any of those qualifiers that we're talking about. Okay? They were the only authoritative teachers of the Christian doctrines at that time. Did you get it? They were the only authoritative teachers of the Christian doctrines at that time. The ones who said, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're not going to do it. We will seal this on earth. We will bind this in heaven. All that stuff. Okay? Now, they, they, they allowed other people to do certain things. They called people to wait on tables, and they called other people to do things. But they were the guys who set the church up. This point is reiterated when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 9, For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last, last, as it were appointed to death, and were made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. It's clear from this passage that the office of apostle was a one-time situation as they were last, They were appointed unto death, meaning they would die for the cause, as Jesus said they would, that they would be made spectacles before angels and men. The question I have, I want you to ask yourself too, is why did God only provide apostles then and for that really short period of time? Of course, the LDS say, well, it wasn't only then. We have 12 apostles uh, today living with us right now, but that is absolutely incongruent with everything we just talked about, especially when you look at what, what they do and what they're about. The question remaining is why did Jesus call 12 mortal men, train them, have them witness his life, his miracles, his resurrection, and not bring in any more throughout the ages, throughout the last 2,000 years? Protestants would say, because he gave us their words in the Bible. I would agree with this in part, but as we have seen and will continue to see, those words were, one, not readily available for hundreds of years. Two, they were interpreted differently. And three, they were subject to scrutiny all the way up to Martin Luther's day. So, did they trust? I trust that they did exist and did do what scripture claims for that time. But again, why were they only there for that time? We can't say they continued on from Peter. That's the Catholic myth. Look at the fruit. We can't say that they were restored. That's a bigger myth. So why were those special witnesses with special powers only around at that short period of time? The answer I used to give was these men kickstarted Jesus Church and once the foundation was set, they were not needed once it got rolling. Is that what the historical record of the church supports, that they didn't, we didn't need apostolic leadership? That throughout these ages past, that it, w- it wouldn't have been important for us to have true apostles of Jesus Christ roaming on the earth? I mean, wouldn't it have made sense for us to have real apostles who were witnesses spiritually, like Paul was, trained by Christ to be around during Constantine's time? Wouldn't it have been great to have an apostle living who had the same witness that the others did, living at Luther's time, living to say, no, this is how it is, and we trust him like we did Paul when he received his revelations and teachings? So again, why did Jesus only call 12 moral men who all died out by 68 AD with the exception of John? Could it be, could it be, those men were called to oversee the physical church alone until Jesus returned? And then the body of Christ from that time forward has been in control of the Holy Spirit and void, completely void, of any type of authority of, of men or, or of any type. If the apostles were gone, wouldn't it make sense that the Holy Spirit would be the one taking control and not lesser men? It seems to me that if, if the church is going to carry on, that we would have These special witnesses here guiding us through these horrible ages, but we never did. The Bible says, shows us we wouldn't. Consider it. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we seek you, we question, we challenge, we test all things, because we want to understand and we don't want to be foonsped. Foonsped, Lord? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Spoon fed, Lord, a bunch of stuff from men that just pacifies and placates, but isn't based on, on truth and the spirit that you give us. Be with our volunteers. Be with those who are struggling to know. Help those who are suffering, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, I'm glad he understands tongues. All right. Let's continue tonight with a discussion, and I'm going to continue on a little bit about apostolic succession and authority and then into the construction of the Bible. Apostolic succession is a bit of a reiteration, but it's an important one when we talk about subjective Christianity. There are three main schools of thought when it comes to authority and apostolic succession floating around out there. We've talked about it before. I'll be quick. I would suggest that there's a fourth, a fourth response that hasn't been given enough attention. The first claim is the apostles were the ones with authority from Christ to establish this church and oversee this establishment. And then from this point forward, that authority carried on. Of course, that's the Catholic tradition. A succession of popes authorized to reign in Jesus' name. And they have an apparent line of authority tracing all the way back to Peter on whom they believe Jesus built his church. The reason apostolic authority is an important discussion is because When we read the New Testament, it is very apparent that these 12 men were purposely trained by Jesus. They were imbued with power, and they did establish churches in his name. So reading the New Testament and taking it literally, there's little wonder why many people believe the apostles should have continued on. They just read it and they say, that just makes sense. But they don't read those fine points we discovered. The second line of thought in this line of authority and the church along with it, is that it became corrupt, and it fell apart. The original apostles were killed off, and God reformed the whole mess through a Catholic priest whose name was Martin Luther, and that carried forward into the hands of a bunch of other men, Calvin and others, Zwingli and others, where the Catholics said there must be a continuation of the visible church, physical church and its authority, streaming directly from the original apostles, the Protestants said the standards of faith come directly from the Bible and not from men or church. So, in a sense, the early Reformation was kind of a nascent form of Christianarchy. Because Luther had no right, he had no authority, even from Scripture, to do what he did. He had no apostolic appointment to do what he did. So that is a form of Christianarchy in a sense. It's also a form of nascent Christian subjectivity, because what Luther said and taught was certainly his subjective views presented to the world and in conflict with the objective faith of Roman Catholicism. That can't be denied. He rose up on his own. He claimed no apostolic appointment. He claimed no revelation from God. He said, I don't like how things are going, and he broke from being subservient to his priestly leaders. We give him that right, but if we do it today in the Protestant church, we are deemed heretics. But Luther, it was okay for him to do. Okay? Unfortunately, Luther and the other reformers with him introduced sola scriptura as the means to determine all truth. Uh, And this has led to thousands of divisions in the body of christ some with really deleterious results meaning the killing of other christians who didn't conform to certain tenets of doctrine and belief the third approach major approach is known as the restorationist approach and that was popularized in the 19th century by a guy named alexander campbell he came along and he said no we need to restore the church back to the original way things were done. And then, of course, Ellen G. White, and the Seventh-day Adventists and, and Russell's uh, Jehovah's Witness, and Joseph Smith's Mormonism were all a product of that restorationist movement, okay? So, in other words, all these groups, plus hundreds of other lesser-known restorationist groups, use the New Testament, in part, as their standard of faith, along with Protestants, but they add in their additional inspired writings Uh, and the insights of their leaders to supplement and augment what the Bible is not clear on. Those are the Restorationist movements. Now, in other words, they use the Bible and the Holy Spirit as their standard of faith, and like the Catholics and most Protestants, they've established an order, and they say, this is how you have to do it. The Church of Christ is really strict. They're tough. And the Mormons have their rites and rituals and ways, and the Jehovah's Witnesses have their rites and rituals and ways. Okay, so I'm going to liken these. Here we go to this. Beautiful thing. You ready? Oh, they're sleeping back. They are over there drinking. And look at, I'm standing here for weeks. Okay. So the three approaches, I'm gonna liken, liken them to uh, three factories, okay? So we have Catholicism, Catholics, and then we have, um, then we have the uh, Protestants, And then we have, um, and then we have the Restorationists, okay? And all of these, all of these groups do the same thing, all right? This is what they do. They say, we demand conformity to how we see things, okay? Now remember, there are, since the beginning of Catholicism, Protestantism, and the Restorationist movement, there have been billions of people who have walked in to these factories and they have believed that they have to conform to the Catholic way, they have to conform to the Protestant way, and they have to conform to the Restorationist way. Billions of souls a lot of them loving God, seeking God, wanting to please God, and believing in the institution and the things that the institution says they must conform to, okay? They also claim authorita in some way, shape, or form. Now, you might say, well, the Protestants really don't. Oh, sure they do, they 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 use the Bible as the the New Testament as their law, and they use that to bring in and demand that you listen to their authority about how this teaching goes or what this doctrine says. And if you belong to this sect, you better conform. The restorationists claim we've got authority, and the Catholics are able to trace theirs back, right? They all appeal to the Bible. All of them. In one way or another. The Jehovah's Witnesses carry their green dragon, that we call it. The, the LDS have their uh, inspired version. The Catholics have their Douay version, with all those uh, apocryphal books included that Luther took out of his. The Protestants have their versions. Then we have all the translations. Then we have all the different uh, the, the, the versions that came from the revised. And, we, and so on and on, talk about that. And then they all refuse to support others and will even mock and criticize all the others. So the billions who come out of Catholicism come out with the stamp of Catholicism on their heart. And the billions who come out of Protestantism and go to God, they come out of the factory as a Protestant, and go to God with those things on their heart. And the billions, or not probably billions, but the millions in the Restorationist movement, they die, they go to heaven, and they have stamped upon their heart the factory imprint from the Restorationist movement. You got all that? Also notice that all of them are taking people in, and they are demanding their brand be upon them. I'm really pushing this out there for you, because I mention this because All of these houses are, have been, and filled with good people. These people are going to church. These people are seeking Jesus in all three. Now, there's little guys who are in the Protestant movement who will say, you don't know the true Jesus. You are going to hell. They make that decision, okay? And they think that their particular brand or mix is superior to all the rest, and that gives them the right to say that. Okay? And all of these billions of people have, while alive, found themselves under the thumb of these institutions relative to doctrine, ceremony, financially, uh, morally, can't wear a dress, must wear a dress, can't wear pants, women, one-piece swimsuit. I hate when I get myself into these things because I really usually blow those. Liturgy billions have died, gone to God, believing to some degree or another that their factory has instructed them in the correct way. And this is only talking about the Christian side of things. We think it is so cohesive and so there, okay? and that their factory corrected them right, and most of them died believing Jesus was coming back to save them at any time, and most of them believed they had the right baptism, and most of them believed this, and most of them believed that. How much did all of that matter in these billions of lives? The tons of doctrine and teachings. Step back with me. While all claim some sort of exclusivity on the standards of faith, we have to admit that all of these houses can't be right fact we might admit that none of these houses are right at least not completely you know is any protestant church have it down absolutely correctly the bible does but we interpret that a thousand ways to sunday no does any restorationist movement well the mormons claim they do jehovah's Witnesses say they have it down right but do i don't think so the catholics of course they believe they do Before we hit on what I would suggest is the only solution to this mess, which is really a non-solution to this mess, there's an approach that inserted itself, and it's like a little subcategory, and it's called universal unitarianism. Okay? This is a little subfactory. Now, uh, this subject It's called Universalism, and it's propagated most publicly in an organization called Unitarianism. This thing is a giant can of worms, like the three major factories. It can be broken up into Christian Unitarians. It can be broken up into Universal Unitarians. All these different Unitarian thoughts. I mentioned this liberal division of thought and belief for a couple reasons. First, because of their general belief, Most universalists or Unitarians, almost all, I could be wrong on that, but I think almost all, if not all, say Jesus was not God. They say there's no way he was a good man, he was a prophet, he was inspired, he was this, but he was a man. And uh, I personally see that as utterly failing. And therefore, the movement ought not be concluded in the general discussion that we have about all the Christian faiths that are looking to uh, uh, Jesus as God in the flesh. Uh, Some may believe, I'm too narrow on this, but if Jesus wasn't God incarnate, then he was just a man. And if Jesus was just a man, the end result would be all men should be able to save themselves. And so... No way. I just can't see that. Plus, I think the Bible narrative is clear that Jesus was God with us. So that, to me, that absolutely removes the universal Unitarian side from the picture. Uh, I, I believe God will deal with all of them in love, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. I think they've missed the mark, and I think that there is a, a, a price for that. But I, I exclude them from the mix. So is there another option to this? This is what we have. And listen, I know I'm kind of stammering over my point, but the point is we accept this. We make exclusions to our faith in this. We We put blinders on ourselves, and we pull along our religious cart, and we really convince ourselves that it's all okay, that we are in the right camp. Everyone else is in the wrong camp. And so is there another way to do it? I think so. And if you have watched this for any time, you know that my idea would be subjective Christianity. And how do I substantiate and support this view using the Bible narrative of Jesus calling and sending out apostles and the existence of Scripture, especially the New Testament and what it describes? This is where preterist eschatology comes into play, okay? Now, uh, not long ago, I had a pastor write, and I mentioned this the other day, that um, he says, I love subjective Christianity, but you are taking an objective, unverified belief that Jesus returned in 70 AD, and you're injecting it in this beautiful idea of subjective Christianity, and you're ruining the whole premise. And while I admit that the interpretation is up to scrutiny, and that I could be wrong about it, and that no matter what someone believes about Jesus' return, it's not a hill to die on between us. I don't believe it is. Uh, The Preterist view goes a long, long, long way in solving what men and their approach to organized Christianity have not been able to solve. Before I quickly summarize the view and why it works so well in response to the three factories, let me encourage any of you to go back to 2014 www.hotm.tv and watch the archives, 13 shows in those. Most of the questions are answered, thousand years, millennium, reign, antichrist, all of that. It's answered in those, and it gives a, a perspective of it, okay? And they're all titled, What Does the Bible Say Jesus Will Return? These programs provide all the supports. So how does this view support subjective Christianity and all the debates over what the standards of faith In the body ought to be embraced and received. Try and see it this way. The Catholics and the LDS are correct when they see the apostles as being the ones with power and authority. Absolutely correct. But they are incorrect in thinking that the power and authority was going to be passed down through a string of popes or was going to be restored back to the earth to men who have never seen Jesus and haven't had to die and they're not producing miracles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The Lord's chosen were chosen to reach the house of Israel, his church, prior to it being destroyed, and to reach out to any Gentiles through Paul in that vicinity as prophesied in the Old Testament. All the epistles and letters were to believers of that day, encouraging them, be faithful, hang on, wait patiently as promised. He is imminently coming, okay? These special witnesses were killed off as Jesus told them they would be, except for John, who may have remained remained until the end of the age, maybe beyond. And that age is when the house of Israel ended. And the whole narrative of the Bible... The whole thing complete ended there. And and when that happened with the destruction of Jerusalem and, and the temple being destroyed and millions of Jews dying, that was the fulfillment of this entire book, complete, done, over, physically. When you can see the Bible in those terms, you begin to understand that after 70 AD... Men are removed from the picture. And the Holy Spirit is drawing people in a thousand ways to Sunday to come to know God. We say, no, no, no. Nobody could go into that Catholic church and be saved. You want to bet? We say, no, no, no. You can't be a Protestant and and, and be saved. You want to bet? You can't be a Mormon. You want to bet? You can't be a Muslim. The Holy Spirit is in charge, reaching and doing its job. And men have just gotten in the way, constructing these, these factories and thinking that we have to replicate this when it's done, as proven by the absence of apostles. If we continue to go along and believe Jesus is still coming back for his church, and that the apostles at intent to write the scriptures is to govern us today we will forever be adding to and filing into one of these three or four factories to receive their imprint on how to be a Christian and when we get that imprint we will forever be divided from everybody else who's imprinted a different way that is the sinister nature of what has occurred when we took this and said, we have to physically repeat it because he's coming back for his church and we want to have it ready. He came for his church. He took it. And now he reigns spiritually on his throne over a spiritual kingdom. And his, the church is gone, but his body continues forward. Let me tell you, look at the difference between the two, between a church and a body. Look at those differences, the body of Christ and a physical church, and you'll see it's a very different approach. We'll do that some other day. So it's our hope to get believers to start to look at this other approach, because what it does is if you believe that it was wrapped up and finished and done, you can, with love in your heart, share Jesus as the only solution to life eternal. And when someone comes in and says, you know, I love the Lord, I'm a Catholic, whatever you want. It's, I don't care what you are. Well, I'm a, you're a Mormon. Yeah. Well, what do you think of Jesus? He's my Lord and Savior. He's my God. He's the only source of salvation. Praise God. We have the gospel essential. We have the gospel that must be preached and shared, but all the nuances of the factories have never been God's way. That's why, that's why they continue to fail. And all they do is, uh, has to be so pleased with this division. That has been around for 2,000 years. So consider those things. Um, Let's open up the phone lines. 801-590-8413. 801-590-8413. We're going to come back to Matt in Cedar Falls, Iowa. David in Salt Lake City, Utah after this. Okay, let's go to Matt in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Matt, you're on Heart of the Matter. Matthew. people. Hey, yeah, yeah, hello? Hey, you're on the air.
2: Oh, okay, how you doing, Sean? I'm
0: doing well, how are you?
2: I'm all right, I'm all right. Well, uh, I, I just basically called, I wanted to make a, you know, a few points. First, I want to say, you know, it's actually kind of, it's a, you know, in fact, it's, it's an honor to be speaking with you. I've been watching you, you know, off and on. Uh, since you first started your show, uh, especially with a lot of the things, you know, that you started with where you are comparing uh, biblical Christianity with Mormonism. OK. Yeah. All uh, right. Now, i study apologetics myself. I, I've been out of uh, the city I was in and, you know, been up in Cedar Falls and a lot of different places. And uh, then I recently just kind of caught back up with your show. And I've been watching the series that you've been doing. Uh, that's on Sola Scriptura. Yeah. Uh, including that episode tonight now. Well, I, I I got some questions, and I, and I wanted to run up by you. Okay. Uh, just, okay, just in regards to, our, let's see, Sola Scriptura, I don't, I don't necessarily see that, Sean, as something that arose out of the Reformation. I think if we have a look at the Acts 15 Council, we can see him apply the principle of Sola Scriptura right then and there, and I think that's the principle. That is an ancient principle that I believe the Reformation was trying to get back to, as a result of what had happened when you when you introduce another doctrine for example uh of course we all know martin Luther's problem was with the catholic church and you know even even though he did challenge them and he had a lot of things to say about what what, you know what he disagreed he ended up you know finding out that it certain places where they had translated due penance which was penance that they would try to have you do which had to do with buying relics and giving money to the church that the scripture actually said repent. He pointed out a few uh, things and a uh, few doctrines that he thought, actually I saw your show last week where where you spoke with a man and, and uh, he tried to bring up the doctrine of praying to Mary and kind of put a spin on it. And I noticed that you called the doctrine heinous. I, I know I would agree with that. But uh, we'll go we'll, we'll back to where I was, I was headed. Uh, I think Sola Scriptura was what he was trying to get everybody back to, not that that was something that was being introduced at the time of the Reformation. Uh,
1: okay. Sola
2: Scriptura. Even though I heard you uh, going over and explaining, you know, to everybody, I don't think that it holds for a, a Bible-only education. First Scripture, allows for uh, traditions, creeds, councils, you know, and uh, church authority, as long as they're subordinate to Scripture, meaning having Scripture is the ultimate authority over them. Uh, that's it as to how. Uh, you know, he was trying to, you know, he was trying to advocate a Bible-only approach. He thinks that, and as as many Christians do today, that the Bible is the ultimate authority that we should subscribe to. So if someone, say for example, you go to a church and a church has a a mission statement and a way that they do things, you should be able to have a look at the way they're doing things and use Scripture as your ultimate authority and decide for yourself.
0: How about the Spirit?
2: Okay, yeah. well, don't get me wrong. I do believe... See, that's one of the things I was calling to talk to you about. You see, I think the Holy Spirit has spoken in the Bible and I don't necessarily think, I believe Christianity to a certain degree can be subjective, but I don't believe uh, certain things are, are open, are, you know, just open to however you want to look at them. Like, for example, I've seen a few of your shows and the baptism topic that's, you know, that's, uh, that can go per person, or they'll say, well, hey, this is uh, well, how I'm comfortable with doing it. Another person, like you said, will say, "Hey, it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that matters. Another person will say, well, hey, I think it's got to be immersion, or it's got to be sprinkling, or else it doesn't, you know. And then another person can say, hey, it has, you have to have it, or else you're not safe. Type of thing.
0: So what do you do with that?
2: Oh, what do I do with that? Yeah, that's, oh, that's situ- a good question. That's a good question. I actually think that Scripture would address all of them, uh, for example, if you have a look at uh, Scripture, let's just say we are talking the topic of baptism. You can have a look at, uh, you know, Mark chapter 1 verse 5 will support immersion. I know a lot of uh, Lutherans who use Hebrews ten twenty two to support Franklin. Matt. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people who say, well, Jesus Christ is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 21 lets us know that in terms of baptism, it's not that actual uh, tradition, okay. the queen of the, okay, Matt, the flesh, Matt, actually, Matt, the, you know, the, yeah.
0: what you're doing right now, and I appreciate it, is you are giving all of us your version of what baptism means. Unfortunately, there are millions of people in a, a five or six different camps that differ with you who love the Lord Jesus and follow Christ and read the same Bible. So again, what do we do? with the three factories who all prescribe different views on baptism. I don't want an answer from you on what baptism is from your interpretation of the Bible. What do we do with something like baptism?
2: Okay, what I believe we should do with something like baptism is, the reason I mentioned that Scripture supported it, supported everybody, was that I don't think that it's something that we should call the division over. Say we're, say we're talking about the four okay. people, if there's uh, one person who wants to get immersed, that should be, I don't think the other people that are there you know, should be like, hey, you can't do that.
0: Okay, that Matt. Other, So, Matt. I think
2: you should be allowed to do. I don't think another person would have right to Okay. upon a tradition. So,
0: what you're saying that, is that it's subjectively interpreted, nobody should say it's this way or that way, and that's all I'm saying
2: okay well no listen listen i did agree i did agree with you in as much as there are certain even when you read scripture, it says let no man judge you about on you know the meat yeah Sabbath day. but especially but, especially let no one you know especially we're warned against you know cautioned against the traditions of men but and some people view baptism that a lot of these traditions are some of the reasons you have all the divisions all right. in christianity
0: so let's let's but really school. let's move this
2: so along do, do i think that scripture did that no, I think okay. that the man who all had to have it there the was a highway instead of saying, hey, you know what? I believe that the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit that counts this guy sitting next to me wants to go through with the tradition of being immersed. I'm not going to tell him, hey, oh, man, you do so that, much talk. you can't commune with me. That's Matt, Matt, so That's a tradition Matt, that's a tradition. he's following, me, Sean. That's not That's not my business to tell him what he, whether what? he should be sprinkled, splashed, or or do like my option, which is say, hey, the Holy I Spirit is a can't so hear
0: you over him. That, that Matt, something that
2: Matt. Really, I, But I didn't really listen. I didn't call about those divisions necessarily. What I'm saying
0: is those can be subjective, Sean. They can be subjective. Okay, what? Okay, what? Wait, 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 Matt, 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 Matt. Matt. What is not subjectively interpreted where there is a definite this must be in Christianity? Just say it. Don't give me a big thing. Just tell me what they are. List them if you can.
2: Okay, well, one of the things that I believe that is taught by Jesus Not what Christ you
0: believe. Is,
2: yeah.
0: What is?
2: Okay, let's say we're talking... Uh, the, uh, I heard you mention the doctrine of hell, okay? Let's, let's, talk, let's talk the doctrine of hell.
0: Okay, no, 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 wait. Are you saying that that is a definitive must-be in Christianity, that hell is eternal?
2: I would have to say yes.
0: Okay, but, so right but, but, but now...
2: the reason why I'm saying that. And I know you're going to say, hey... Of course I am. But what I'm going to say But is I'm not
0: just saying... But, but Matt, I'm not just saying it off of opinion. I am saying it off just as much evidence, if not more, that it is not using the Greek and using the context. So you've brought up one that... I, that one really is interesting. Can't you give me something more substantive that we all agree on as Christians? Can you give me just the core...
2: Okay, how about the Trinity? I heard you mention the Trinity
0: last week. Let's talk about the Trinity. We're in trouble again. We have oneness Pentecostals and they are beautiful believers in Christ Jesus. They say he's the Lord. They just don't agree with the concept Trinity. I don't agree with the concept Trinity. It's not the Lordship of Christ. Jesus was God in the flesh. It's the Holy Spirit I have the, the issue with. I think that's God's spirit. Trinity was made by men. So why okay. would you take a I don't, definition? I, don't, I,
2: don't think I think if you're looking at the new are you looking at the new I, I think the trinity is taught all throughout the old testament. Of course
0: you think it's taught all through there. Look at to, you think that of course you do Matt and it's okay and you may be right and I may be wrong and if I die and God says I'm a trinity you're going to hell forever I'll say I tried. But Matt that this isn't the point. I want to know the core beliefs of a Christian is it believing in a trinity? Is it believing in baptisms? Is it believing it's, it's, that hell's uh, eternal? Well,
2: actually, like I'm saying, it, 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 there's a lot of different doctrines in the court, for example. Uh, I, like, I'll go back to when we were talking about last week, and you put the guy called in about the Marian doctrine, which was, you know, about planting there and all that, you called that heinous. Now, that's, that's my point exactly. So and you know, that, but you, but you, you know what? But you know what? I agree. You, you, me, me, you call it me? You agree with me, that's irrelevant. I could be wrong, be but the, here's the you know, thing. No, lot of the stuff no, no, but Matt, Matt. This person loves Jesus Christ. This person loves Christ. I could being, Sean, you gotta make a point here. Uh we're all being led by the uh the Holy Spirit here. But when the Holy Spirit is over here saying there's no Trinity, And as a matter of fact, let's talk just this show. I heard you say, Hey, it's the Holy Spirit that could be doing the leading. So if you're a Mormon, Catholic, Muslim, they can all get in. That's, that's dabbling in the doctrine of Catholicism. Which they can't all get God. in. I, uh, don't that that. I don't preach now, that. I don't preach that. Wait, Spirit, Matt, mate, Matt, so got got Matt, Matt, you we know, got Matt, 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 Matt. Matt, Matt, I know that you know, and, and I agree God with that. Jesus.
0: Matt, I agree.
2: I'm sure you know that Islam denies that he Matt, was, I agree. And was crucified at all. How can you tell me that? Matt, those I agree with it. Those are in line with what Christ. Matt,
0: taught. you're being just. Listen to the point. I agree that Jesus is the only way. Just, just, okay. this, wait. Just wait. Just, let's just tone it down and just, just end on something that's that's viable here. My point on Mar- on Mariology is not whether you agree with me, and I get a thousand people to agree with me. If a guy came into this church. And he sat down and said, I pray to Mary every day. I'd say, I love you, brother. Stay with us. And if he said, I'm going to the Catholic Church after I go to you, and I'm going to do the rosary, and I'm going to do the Eucharist, and I'm going to do these things, I'd say, whatever, brother. You love the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, I do. My opinion of Mariology, even though I said it's heinous in my opinion, means nothing. That person is responsible for their faith. They have the Holy Spirit calling to them and working on them just like you do and just like I do. My problem is there are so many things that divide us, we need to cut them all out and allow people to pursue God as the Holy Spirit is leading. Matt, we have three other callers. Call back. We'll keep talking. You're a fiery guy, and I love you, but we'll keep talking. And uh, here we go to David in Salt Lake City. David, you've been waiting for a long time. Sorry, you're on Heart of the Matter.
1: Hey, Sean. How's it going?
0: Good. How are you?
1: Good. Hey, uh, I, I just called. I have a couple things that I wanted to that I just discuss with you real quick. Okay. Uh, one thing you've been saying over the course of your Sola Scriptura series is, uh, you said it um, multiple times, Jesus never told anybody to write a book. Did he? Uh, yeah. I'm, if you look at Revelation chapter 1, verse oh. 11. All right. Um,
0: he did. I stand corrected.
1: So that, so at least that, um, one other thing I wanted to kind of ask you about, and uh, I can give home an, an example with you, um, you wrote the book, uh, I Was a Born Again Mormon, right? Yes. When you wrote the book, did you have a, a message that you were, com- a specific message that you were communicating?
0: I tried, yes.
1: Okay. If four different people read your book and come up with four different interpretations, does that mean that you were not trying to communicate a specific message? No, it doesn't. Does that mean that they're wrong?
0: No, it doesn't mean either. And this is really interesting. This goes back to the movement of the Bauhaus art movement in Germany. And the question is, do we look at what the artist's intent was when we look at art? Or do we look at what the art says to us individually? And they, and so at that point, there was a turn where, the, where generally people said, who cares what the artist thought? Who cares? We don't care what he thought. This is what I sense, what I believe when I look at this piece of art. So your question's good. I don't think what I intended or what the reader receives, either one is paramount. I think it's, we do our best, and that was it.
1: Well, I mean, the, the, when the authors of Scripture wrote Scripture, and yeah. one thing people have been bringing up a lot, and you've been saying, you know, Different interpretations of baptism. Yeah, I can see that there are different interpretations of baptism. Okay, but whether 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 or not one of those is the right one or the wrong one. Okay, the authors of Scripture had a message, a specific message that they were trying to communicate.
0: Okay, so let me ask you this: What does it matter if they had a specific point they were making if we can't figure out what it was? Well.
1: I, I would I would push back on that and say that um, I can understand what you're saying about you know the Bible alone. We need to have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and I, I, I fully agree. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Yes, but but uh, but I think that when a person sits down, reads the Bible, and the and the Holy Spirit speaks to them through the Bible. Okay, I I I, I that's what I believe
0: okay i agree with you david i agree with you i agree with you but what i'm saying is that the holy spirit is speaking to some people of certain intellects and educations and cultural background that says sprinkling is the way to go and some people are reading and they say immersion is the way to go and i prefer immersion i think it's contextually sound and there's people who say water baptism is irrelevant and there's people who say the only baptism is necessary is the holy spirit and so we have all these divisions. So no matter what the authors intended, you are falling back to a, a safeguard that doesn't work. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. When we look at all the factories out there, what you're saying has proven not to work unless what you're saying is there is a group who have it all right.
1: I don't know that there's necessarily a group that has everything right if that's right? the
0: case if that's the case David then being right is irrelevant is my point it doesn't matter
1: but but here's but here's why I would push back on that and say there are things in scripture that are clear and the caller before me wouldn't answer your question i'll I'll, I'll answer your question okay let's there get them things, there are things that are definite let's you have hear to them believe to be a Christian
0: okay what are you have
1: they to be, you have to be a monotheist. Ten okay, and multiple gods.
0: agreed.
1: Okay, okay. You, have to be, you have to believe that Jesus was God incarnate. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to go to heaven. Okay, by that I agree alone. with.
0: That I agree with, he's the only way, I agree.
1: But by grace alone and through faith alone, not Jesus plus baptism, not Jesus plus your good works, Not do your best. Jesus makes up the rest. Jesus is it.
0: Okay. Okay, now wait a second. Stop right there. Because what you are claiming, while I might agree with you, uh, there are plenty of religions, Christian religions, faiths, good Christian people, who believe that Jesus, he does the initial saving here, but you better step up to the plate and follow it up with love. The book of James clearly supports that. In most ways, although I see it as a little bit different. So what I'm saying is, while I agree with you, and I believe Paul teaches that clearly, I think that Paul was speaking to a certain subject, and James was speaking to a certain subject, and some, between those books, we get to the truth, but your proclamation that it is by grace alone that you are saved and nothing else, bottom line, Pauline, I'm not sure that that defines whether a person's a Christian or not. And I, and I don't think I would agree with you. I agree with you on the principle, but not on the, what you're saying.
1: Well, well, I I would disagree with your interpretation of James. Of course, well. you would, because because I don't I don't think that there could be there can be any uh, there can there can be nothing added to faith. Okay, well Paul let me clearly, ask you this: Paul clearly states, if it be by grace, I know Paul then it's clearly no states it. Works. I get that. If it be by works, then it's no more of grace.
0: I understand. One or the other? I understand, David, the principle. I do, and I believe it, and I believe that that salvation will lead you into good works. But the problem is you're saying that is what defines a Christian and you're telling me that if somebody believes Jesus has saved them and it's incumbent that they work now because they want to really keep God happy. Are you telling me that God will say, no, you're out?
1: Well, what I'm I'm telling you is you said a person really believes that Jesus saved them.
0: Right. But now they're working, but now they're they're working to ensure that salvation sticks. Are you telling me well, that they're not Christian?
1: Well, well I'm, I'm telling you that they, they don't understand the full weight of what salvation I, actually is. I,
0: that's what all of this is about. We see through a glass darkly. So because well, we well, lack understanding well, doesn't mean we are doomed.
1: Oh, well, be, but they're, trust, they're not trusting fully on Jesus at that point.
2: Okay, so listen. Say, I
1: believe that I'm i believe I'm initially saved, <laughs> but i got to do works to stay saved.
0: You've got, let me have, let, let me, wait, 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 Matt, David, let me make one point. You have at least, in my estimation, uh, 500 million Christians, maybe 800 million Christians in this world who do not understand what you're saying right now. Most Christians, most, Christians believe, most Christians believe that Jesus came and died for their sins and they have to now prove it that they believe in him and live right in order to merit that. They don't get the, the level that you're speaking of. So yeah, it's and, really problematic. And, and, and,
1: but let me, but let me say that, push back on that and say this. In the Gospels, uh, they asked Jesus, are there many that be saved? And he said no. He said no. I would agree. In fact, he said many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works in my name? And I I'll agree. profess to them I never knew.
0: I agree with you. I agree with you.
1: And, so, but he, and here's what I'm trying to tell you. Boy, I think that I, you have a huge platform. And I respect that you're seeking truth and you're doing this and you you want to go. But I think that you're focusing on the wrong stuff because of what you just said. There's millions of people in this world that don't understand what you're saying. And I know that you understand what I'm saying because I'm talking to you and you get it. Right. And if that's really what you believe, then you should be using your platform to explain the clear gospel presentation and show them that baptism is not it, works are not it, Jesus paid it all. We do that. And we just...
0: I do it every Man. week. I do it every week, twice a week. But this is a no, program. But you,
1: but you, mud, but, you muddy, no. but you're muddy in the waters. No, no, it, I'm not it, muddy it, in but... the waters.
0: I am pointing out that there are so many faiths, religions that people are being stamped with these different doctrines, they're living them, they're dying, and it's all because of how they were raised. And you're telling me that God is allowing them to go through believing on his son in some sense, and then he's damning them to an eternal hell forever because they were born in a certain place that taught this certain thing, they trusted it with all their heart, the Spirit spoke to them, they did all these things with Jesus, they die and they're screwed? This is why we're doing it. I'm not trying to muddy the water. I'm trying to say we cannot make mountains out of molehills. The gospel of Jesus Christ says nothing about grace. You can say it does, but it is isn't defined that way. It's the gospel is Jesus came, he lived, he died, he resurrected. Do you believe that? That is, do you believe he's the Lord? It doesn't say anything about monotheism. It doesn't say anything about him being God in the flesh. It doesn't say anything about baptism, nor does it say anything about saved by grace through uh, 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 grace alone. None of that is included in the good news. See, so what I think you are doing, and I'm not mad at you, I'm just being emphatic, is you are muddying the waters by taking Christianity and that simple good message, and you are obfuscating it through all these additional things.
1: No, man, that's the whole point of what the Bible, the whole point of the Gospels is there are people that believe something, and they believe the wrong thing, and Jesus said, you just believe me, and that's it, that's the whole point. I
0: agree with you, I agree. I know, man, look, man I know,
1: okay, I know you do. Okay, but,
0: but this is important people... dialogue because people, look at, okay, uh, you know what, uh, I have to end, David, this is a good talk, but we have two other callers, and I have to end with this analogy. Call back, keep watching, and give me grace. Okay, listen. How much time, Derek? We're out, but i got to give this analogy. Can I do it? Okay, the analogy is this. In 19, whenever it was, 40-something, we discovered that penicillin will kill bacteria. And we took that penicillin, and we abused the hell out of it. We took it every chance (laughs) we could. We developed all kinds of new... uh, uh, drugs to fight bacteria. We injected our cows and our sheep with it. We sprayed things with it. We took them in our bodies. We didn't finish prescriptions. And today, guess what? The the wonderful gift of antibiotics aren't working. They're not working anymore because they've lost their effectiveness against the germs. There are literally bacteria-resistant germs that there's not, a, there's not an antibiotic on Earth that will kill them, okay? It's our own fault. Now, um, pharmaceutical companies, this is what they say. We have 10 billion, we have, do we have a billion dollars and 10 years to do R&D on a drug? Okay, we do. That's all we do. Are we going to do an antibiotic which within three years is going to be rendered ineffective by bacteria that will overcome this new research? All the money we've put into it, all the research into it's going to be gone in three years because the bacteria will overcome and we'll need a new one. Or are we going to come up with a new thing for losing weight or controlling our sugar or something with our hypertension, which the drugs we have now will survive and, and, and do that. No. They, so they don't put their money where they need to because there's no return on it. There's no return in doing antibiotics because we're not winning that war. This is the same thing with the church. We have taken a plethora of stuff, and we've abused it. We have said things, I mean, Blood Moon is the current one. We have said he's coming back. We've done all kinds of things. We have used the Bible to do all sorts of heinous things. We've divided over it. We've started all kinds of things. And guess what? It's, we are no longer impervious to the world. Our kids are not going to be able to step into one of these 35,000 faiths and say, I believe In this and that and this and that and this and that because the world is overcoming us with that we have to get the R&D and put our money and focus in the essentials the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only antibiotic to this world it is not all the nuances that we divide over and that we add to the gospel unless we do we will see Christianity in America go like it did in Europe where it's void. And so we have to get smart. And that's why I'm doing it. I'm trying to say rise up because we have bacteria that we don't have anything against anymore. Let's get back to reasonable approaches rather than radical zealot approaches because they don't work. With that, join us next week here on Heart of the Matter.
1: so it's to So you can read. i Okay. And <laughs> the But see if I've see changed the message by the I Okay. So I will read This is Dallas.
2: Thank you.